for theirs hair color, so don't worry, everyone. <laughs> well, we're continuing with our series on Jonah. I don't know if you know this. You can bring the slide up, but there's only one more message in this series on the book of Jonah. Can you believe it? After doing one with 80, the Gospel of Mark, this one's only seven. And then I'm very excited to tell you in a couple of weeks, we're going to begin a series on 1 Peter. I'm really excited about 1 Peter, especially when I preach the sermon about wives submit to your husbands. That's going to be so fun. It's a joke, people. Relax. I'm not looking forward to that. I might skip that part. And then after that, I'm strongly considering the possibility of doing a series on Revelation. It'll be a longer series. Oh, yeah. I knew everybody would clap. And never mind. I'm not doing it. <clears throat> so I'm just giving you an idea of what's to come in the next few months here at Grace Life. And for those of you that are new to our church, we don't do any topical messages very often, maybe, maybe one a year. For the most part, we try to go book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and we let God tell us what it is that he wants us to hear through expository preaching of God's word. And we're continuing to do that with the book of Jonah. This is swimming lesson number six this week, and I've titled it Mad at God. Have you ever been mad at God? <laughs> Have you ever been so frustrated with the way God seems to do things? You know, you need an example of how this mad at God things happens. A couple of weeks ago, a, a friend that I had not heard from in several years <clears throat> reached out to me. And I thought, oh, cool. It's good to reconnect. But I ended up, what they were really saying is, hey, how you doing? Can I borrow 50 bucks? I hadn't talked to them for like two, three years. But no biggie. You know what? I'm willing to help. So I'm hip. So I say, fine. Can I just use Venmo? Right? Venmo? They insisted, no, don't use Venmo. I use Cash App. I said, well, I don't have Cash App, and I don't use Cash App, so I'll send you 50 bucks, but it's going to be through Venmo. My wife's back there saying, who's asking you for 50 bucks? Why didn't you run this by me? <clears throat> well, they got very frustrated. Well, can you just go ahead and open up a Cash App account for me? It's what I use, and it would be much easier for me to get the $50 from you. And I said, well, no, I, I can't. I don't want to use Cash App. I don't like Cash App. They have a stupid logo. Whatever. <clears throat> they got very frustrated with me. Can you just please open up the Cash App account, Pastor Joe? It's what I use. And their response was bizarre when I said, no, I'll send it to you Venmo. I might even send it to you Zelle, but I'm not going to use Cash App. Their response was bizarre. Never mind. Just forget it. I'll go hungry. <laughs> I was like, okay, good talk. <laughs> I mean, think about it. This person out of the blue is asking me for money. They're frustrated. I won't help them on their terms. Like, where's the gratitude, dude? Or dudette. I'm not going to give away which, you know, gender they were. See, many Christians, I think, have this same approach to God without even recognizing it, especially when we start to realize that God's plan is not fitting into ours. And then we get mad, even though we don't think we're mad at God. And I'll explain that later. How could people who have received the riches of God's mercy and love and grace ever become frustrated with God? Have you ever gotten to that place in your relationship with God? How can you spot this pattern in your life as it is developing? Some of you might say, well, that's not me. I would never get mad 
at God. I would never get mad at you, Pastor Joe, if you wanted to send me 50 bucks on Venmo. Don't be so sure. I think all of us get mad at God without even knowing it. <clears throat> Jonah had gotten to this place in his life where he had wanted obedience to God on his terms. Let's look at the passage today. Um, there we go. From Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. And, but it displeased Jonah. What it displeased Jonah, we talked about it last week. The pagan city of Nineveh has repented in incredible ways. And they're now walking with God. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, it is not. Is this not what I said when I went into my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. He hates God for being this way. I knew you were going to be gracious. I knew you were going to be merciful, slow to anger. I knew you were going to spare Nineveh from disaster. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. It's better for me to die than to see what you're doing with the Ninevites. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? And then Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east in the city on a hill and, and made a booth for himself there. In other words, he pitched a tent. And he sat under the shade till he would see what become of the city. So look at the history of this passage. What about man? What is he doing? Why and how does he do it? It's pretty easy to figure out here that Jonah is angry. He has what I call repentance envy. See, sadly, Jonah's repentance after the whale incident, where he goes and says, fine, God, I was in the belly of the whale. You rescued me. I'll go do whatever you want. I'll go preach to the Ninevites. Well, that rep repentance has been temporary. And he has not received the instant gratification he was hoping to get. So now he's done. See, what Jonah really wanted when he repented, he didn't say this, but his repentance had conditions. I'll repent, but I want to see your judgment on poor Nineveh. Boy, that would have been awesome for Jonah to see. To go in, get to preach hellfire and damnation and the judgment of God and see them reject him and then see God just wipe them out. That's what he wanted. But Nineveh's response is so miraculous. It is so profound, it frustrates Jonah. This is the last thing Jonah wanted. He says, I knew this would happen, God. I knew that if I preached, they would hear the gospel, they would repent, and you would spare them. This is the reason I tried to run from you on the boat in the first place. It's your fault, God. He knew deep down that he would feel this way when it happened. He's mad at God for doing for Nineveh what God had done for him and his country Israel time and time again. And instead of being inspired by their repentance, Jonah resents them for it. He's jealous of the grace that they're receiving. So what he does is he goes on to Victim Hill. See, Jonah believed Nineveh deserved judgment. But now his hopes of God wiping them out have been crushed. But don't worry, he has a new hope. He hopes that their repentance fails. Ironic, isn't it? He hopes their repentance is just like his he finds a seat on Victim Hill, and he's prepared to sit there in a tent 
on Victim Hill for 40 days, because that's what God said would happen if you don't repent within 40 days. I'm going to judge you. He's there, got a good seat with a tent to seeing what happens to the city. He's waiting for God's judgment to roll in. Will it be a hurricane? An earthquake? <clears throat> Fire? Whatever it is, I want to see it. But it never happens. Can you imagine as a child of God being so angry and so vindictive that you're willing to sit on a hillside for a month to see God judge a whole city? I imagine it's sort of like how people right now that live in Boston feel about Tampa. We're winning all these championships. Tom Brady likes it here better than there. Right? I mean, they're pretty jealous. I bet you they wish that God would judge us. See, Jonah is angry with God because what he wanted to happen wasn't part of God's plan. Jonah is on victim hill because he's forgotten about his own need for grace and he has no gratitude. So he prays what I call the victim prayer. <clears throat> Pre-well Jonah, do you remember him? He was arrogant, pathetic, passive-aggressive, selfish, judgmental. He was mad at God too. Do you remember what Jonah was praying for then? Do you guys remember? That's right. It's the same prayer he prays on Victim Hill. Just let me die. It's a habitual sinful prayer here. Jonah's repentance prayer now, remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago, and I think swimming lesson four, his repentance prayer in the belly of the whale was real. Remember, we studied it. It's beautiful. That humble, submissive, teachable moment, however, has passed, and here on Victim Hill, he's back to pre-whale Jonah. Poor little Jonah didn't get what he wanted from God, so now he doesn't want to live anymore. I mean, can you compare this to the prayer that Jesus modeled for us? Your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth and heaven. This is the last thing Jonah wanted. Here's what Jonah's prayer is. My will be done on earth, and I'm not even worried about heaven. But you know what's ironic is he says, God, just kill me. Jonah knows God's not going to kill him. It's fake. It's a disingenuous prayer. He doesn't really want it answered. It's passive-aggressive victimhood. It's kind of like the person who said to me, no, I either want it on Cash App or I'll starve. But see, Jonah just cannot get past what God has done in Nineveh. He has no interest in serving God anymore. How does a prophet of God get here? Let's look at the spiritual part of this passage. I want to talk about this conflict with God. <clears throat> Why are you angry? <clears throat> Jonah is now in full conflict with Jehovah because his desires clash with God's priorities. Can you imagine what God is thinking as he sees Jonah pouting on Victim Hill, asking God to kill him? I can tell you what I would think if I were God. Will you let me? I know how I'd respond to Jonah's anger and his pathetic victimhood prayer. This is me, not God. Dude, you prayed to me from a whale. You asked me to rescue you, and you promised to serve me like a child of God should. So I rescue you, and then I make you the most successful preacher in human history. I use you to transform a pagan nation. And how do you thank me? 
you sit on this ridiculous hill angry because I've shown the same mercy to them that I showed you. And now you're asking me to kill you because you don't like how I do things? Because I didn't just wipe them out? What is wrong with you? You stupid, pathetic, self-absorbed, arrogant, sensitive little snowflake. I enjoyed that way too much, didn't I? <laughs> do, you feel, do you feel like I'm projecting to someone right now? I don't know. <laughs> Instead, God asked Jonah this question. Jonah, why are you so angry? Do you have good reason? To me, that's not what I would have asked. What incredible patience God shows, huh? Even bothering to ask, you want to get die? Fine, you did. <clears throat> but he asked this question. By the way, I don't know if you realize this, but this is exactly the same question God asked Cain when he rebelled. Cain, why are you so angry? Is your anger justified? It's the same question we'll see later on that God asked Paul. God's question sets up a couple of days of a patient, teachable moment for Jonah that we will explore next week. But for today, I want to talk about the fact that God has a priority in this passage. I'm going to read this passage to you in Revelation chapter 5, <clears throat> verse 9. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. See, God's priority then and now was and is to make Christianity the least ethnic-exclusive faith in history. It's not just for white people. It's not just for Asians. It's not just for black people, Hispanic people, Arabic people, Jewish people, Gentile people. It's for all nations. God has always intended his people from all nations to love and serve sinners from all other nations, even when they hate you. Everything, and I mean everything, including all of your earthly hopes and dreams, even the nice ones, all take a back seat to this plan. But Jonah is mad because that's not his priority. His priority is to receive mercy and grace on his terms. Jonah's priority was for Nineveh to be the object of God's wrath and to Israel to be the exclusive recipient of God's grace. He wants God to use Cash App. <clears throat> you know what's really sad? Jonah is a microcosm of the whole nation of Israel, a blessed nation consumed with arrogance, anger, and victimhood. And throughout the Old Testament, we see an Israel with desires directly in conflict with God's priorities. It is a constant tension. They were supposed to be blessing all nations. Instead, they hate every nation outside of their own. Now, I believe people within the church, especially the American church, have this same conflict with God. Many of our priorities do not line up with his at all. So here's the personal section this week. I've entitled it, You Mad, Bro? <clears throat> now listen, this is a very difficult swimming lesson for you this morning. I'm throwing you into the deep end, the spiritual deep end, without any floaties. 
Complaining or rejoicing? You know, it's easy for us to scoff at Jonah. How could he not embrace God's plan? I would never be like Jonah. Oh, really? See, our misplaced obsessions, our desires, create a life in constant conflict with God, and it becomes exhausting. Paul experienced this. In fact, God asked Paul that similar question to the one God asked Jonah. Here it is in Acts 26, 14. Paul said, And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you hating me? Is it hard for you to kick against the goads? Get this. At the time God asked Paul this question, Paul was convinced he was zealous for God. He was doing righteous work. But in fact, he wasn't. Paul had no clue he was mad at God. Yet his life was one big, giant wrestling match with God. And the church, God's people, were caught in the crossfire as he tried to kill them all. But later, after Paul becomes a believer, God saves him and calls him to ministry, he's in prison. Now, at this point, he's falsely accused. He's facing death. Romans and Jews all hate him. Paul finally understands real, true gratitude, and he writes some of the most beautiful expressions of gratitude ever. He could have been like Jonah. He could have easily written this. Complain to the Lord always. And again, I say complain. That's really not what Philippians 4.4 4 says. You understand that. But a guy sitting in prison, falsely accused, certainly could have said that. But what does Paul write? Falsely accused in prison, facing the death sentence? I mean, if anyone had the right to sit on Victim Hill, arms crossed, waiting for God to judge someone, it's Paul, right? You, me, I, we complain about a lot less. But that's not what Paul wrote as he suffered in service to the kingdom of God. He was filled with gratitude and mercy, and he wrote, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I will say rejoice. Which one best describes your conversations with God, your posture towards Jehovah? Do you do more complaining or rejoicing? Let's explore the possibilities and let's see. So don't judge Jonah. We go to Victim Hill with God quite often without realizing it. Some of you have been there for years. <clears throat> Let me tell you what happened to me. On Saturday, <clears throat> I had to rewrite this entire section. I had something very different. Boy, was it good. <laughs> but I realized on Saturday the best way to teach this lesson was my own victim hill. So just like Paul in Acts that we just read, I need to be vulnerable with you you can understand this complicated concept of just how easy it is to take a seat on Victim Hill. So this is me. The last few weeks, I've been following this tragic story called Sermon Gate. I don't know if you ever, any of you have heard about it. Newsweek had actually a pretty big article on it about rampant plagiarism by pastors, particularly megachurch pastors. One of them was, it started with the new president of the Southern Baptist Convention, Ed Litton, he got elected, and some people started going back and listening to his sermons, 
And they said, wow, that sounds a lot like another pastor named J.D. Greer. They started looking. Six years of sermons. The church had to take them down off the website. And then his wife also speaks there at the church. They started exploring her. She had been copying from a guy. Uh, um, what's his name in New York? Um, I'm drawing a blank. But anyway, big church in New York, a Presbyterian church in New York. Uh, Keller, Tim Keller. She'd been copying Tim Keller for years. And they said, I wonder how many other pastors are like this, big-name pastors. They started doing research. A significant portion of megachurch pastors have teams that write for them, by the way. You know that. And then they borrow from other pastors without citing them. It's okay to borrow from other people. You just got to cite it. Then they started realizing there are whole websites out there, their whole businesses selling sermon outlines to pastors. At first, I felt really relieved because I put a lot of work into these sermons each week. And I was glad I didn't have to feel guilty, right? There's a little arrogance there, for sure. I write my own stuff. But I began to grow frustrated, even angry. How can all these lazy pastors have such big churches? Why don't these lazy pastors get what they deserve? Why don't people appreciate the hard work that goes into writing sermons? Boy, isn't that a really sick place for me to go? It may seem like my frustration is with church people, but no, my frustration is with God and what he's doing in people's lives, working in spite of them instead of because of them. God, why are you using these undeserving pastors and churches? Grace life deserves better. We've earned it. See how easy it is to fall into this mad at God trap? Except I'm worse than Jonah. I was jealous of other pastors. It was sick. And on Saturday or near the end of the week, I heard God asking me this question. Joe, why are you angry? Is it really justified? I've given you an incredible privilege of preaching to the most precious group of children of mine every Sunday. And I realized, man... I have become ungrateful for the undeserved privilege of doing the work to preach to the blessing that is this precious church family of grace life every week. I felt like, I felt like Jonah. So this week, your pastor was on Victim Hill. Why should I bother to do all this work every week? Man, it's sick. I don't want to talk about it anymore, but I got to bring it up one more time at the end, okay? So for now, I'm going to take the attention off. I'm going to talk about your victim hill now. <laughs> it's a little more fun. <clears throat> okay. I'm going to read to you a passage in Matthew 16, verse 24 through 25. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me and let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, forever would save his life, will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You know, we all have these little crosses that Jesus is talking about. <clears throat> I just shared with you one of mine today, and that, that is a really super dark place for me. 
And all of you have your own. Things you love more than you love your Savior or his kingdom. You have obsessions or desires that corrupt your priorities, pulling you out of line with God's priorities. Things that you perhaps feel entitled to. You've lost your sense of gratitude for the mercy and grace God has given you. Maybe your cross is a passion about what you think God should be doing in your life or what God has allowed to happen in your life. Maybe something you think God should be doing in your community or even your country. Maybe it's your personal finances. Maybe you believe you deserve a better spouse or better kids or a better job. Look, this could be really obvious or it could be subtle. It could seem like righteous anger, like mine did. This is, listen, this is hard stuff. <clears throat> this is a complicated swimming lesson, and I hope you're tracking me here. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me into the way everlasting. <clears throat> Many of you have probably heard that verse. I doubt you pray it very much. So this last section that I'm going to preach for you is an orientation of sorts for what we are going to be dealing with next week in the last part, this last swimming lesson in this book of Jonah. And this is a very important step. I can promise, I can promise all of us struggle with this in many areas, and we don't even realize it. And it really does take some very deep introspection to see how anger with God has crept into your life. Sometimes your anger with God is not directed at God, it's directed at his people or other people. So how can you know? If you're mad at God, what are the signs? And the other question is, are you actually willing to go there with me today? <clears throat> Listen, I think these are the signs that you're mad at God. It starts with a feeling of entitled discontent. Like God owes you more. Or you don't deserve what God has put you through. It's not about deserving or owing. Are you sitting on Victim Hill with your arms crossed, upset because God isn't giving you what you want? Are you so disappointed with God that you've lost all desire to be consistently, actively involved in actually advancing his kingdom? When was the last time you were involved in that process? Are you so frustrated with God that you've pulled back from all your relationships with God and particularly his church? Are you so mad at God you can go months without serving others? Are you so upset with God you have abandoned your full repentance <clears throat> even without even properly knowing it? 
Are you so discontented with God? You can't even remember the last time you sat down and intentionally read his word? Or maybe even passionately prayed for someone else? Not all of you may be struggling with this at this moment today, but I believe you will. Some of you are struggling with it today. And perhaps God is asking you this question like he asked me on Friday. Why are you so angry with me? Is it deserved? Next week, we'll address this topic in great detail. But for now, let that question ring. My child, why are you so angry? Do you have good reason? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we confess to you. We actually sometimes find some comfort in being angry with you. We rarely do we actually express it right to you. We actually kind of emote it and project it on others. Passive aggressive behavior, selfishness. <clears throat> Lord, we're asking today that you would search our hearts, know our minds, try us, see if there's anything in us that is keeping us from following you. Please, Lord, lead us to a healthy, strong, vibrant, humble, gratitude-filled connection with you. <clears throat> Help us to make sure we don't bring ourselves to a point where we give back some of our repentance because we don't like how it's going. Lord, break us. Bring us to a place of humility and teachability. Let us think of others as better than ourselves. Lord, we don't want to be angry anymore. It's exhausting. We want to rest in the peace and love of the arms of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. We have one more week left in Jonah. I hope you'll be here next week. We love you, church. Those here and those watching at home, if you need anything, let us know. We've got your back. Have a great week.